traditional Krakow bread, a queen's favorite dessert, and a menacing leprechaun. This week, we're in Poland. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. And if you're new to the podcast, here's what we do. In each episode, we talk about the cuisine and culture of a particular place. And as my friends Rick and Dave said on their very funny podcast, Minutia Men, Brent is really into it, maybe a little too into it. But hey, the way I figure it, if I was all like meh about everything, that's not a very interesting podcast, is it? Several weeks ago on episode 85, we spoke with Alexandra August of the TV show Flavor of Poland. You can catch it on PBS or on Create TV. It was a great conversation, and if you missed it, you can listen at radiomisfits.com slash DED85. Now, Poland's a big country, and it has a fascinating culinary scene, so there's no way to cover all of Poland in a single show. So we've got Alexandra again. She talks about holding on to her Polish roots while growing up in Chicago, the Galician cuisine of Krakow, Polish wines, and of course, we talk bagels. But first, if you haven't yet subscribed to this show, do yourself a favor. Go and get on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to Destination Eat Drink. We are on all the platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Podcasts. That's music.amazon.com. Destination Eat Drink. Alexandra, thanks so much for being back on the podcast. We had so much fun talking last time. I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to have you back and talk some more about your program, The Taste of Poland and Polish Cuisine. But before we jump into it, you grew up in Chicago, Chicago area, what they call Chicago land. I grew up in Chicago land. And one of the things that folks might not know about Chicago land is there is a huge Polish-American population. When I was growing up, I remember people saying all the time, you know, the second city of Poland is Chicago (laughs) because there's so many Polish-Americans there. You grew up in a Polish family. I I didn't. Uh, We talked a little bit about you cooking with your mom and your grandma, but I was curious, did your parents or your grandparents, did they actually speak Polish when you were a young girl? Oh, yes, they did. Uh, I speak Polish with my family to this day. Still, okay. Yes, I do. And my father's biggest goal in raising me and my siblings was to have us uh, never forget the language. Uh, so he made sure that we spoke Polish at home to this day. If any of us speak English to him, he pretends to not understand, which he does. <laughs> He's been in the in the United States for, for quite a few years, the majority of his adult life, so he, he definitely understands English, but when it comes to his, uh, to his children, he acts as if he doesn't, and I'm grateful to him for that uh, today, because because of that kind of push and that in his insistence upon uh, us using the language, I can speak it fluently today. Uh, so I, I 100% spoke Polish with my grandparents, with my aunts, uncles, cousins, and uh, with my parents 
both growing up and to this day. And it's obvious that you speak it fluently from the show. You can tell you're interacting with all the Polish people in the program and obviously in a very comfortable way. So that's great. You know, I I think that's one thing that we kind of lose with a lot of the immigrant experiences. Uh, for a lot of folks, it gets driven out. You know, you're you're in America, speak English now. I know for I think it was my my great grandfather. He spoke German. He's from Germany, and you know, uh, by the time my father came along, it was like it was it was very much. You don't want to speak German. You want to speak. Uh, you know, you want to speak English. And I think there's a real. Um, benefit to being a, a bi- obviously I'm not breaking any new ground here. There's obviously a huge benefit to being a bilingual person in uh, in this day and age. You know, I kind of hung on to my Polish roots growing up. Uh, you know, part of the reason why that happened was because my my parents and my grandparents are very proudly Polish too. So even though they settled here in the United States, they kind of wanted to make sure that, that the next generation preserved the, the culture from, from the old country and that that wasn't lost because they saw the value in, in kind of uh, preserving that for as long as I like to think of it today, that for as long as we hold on to that culture and the language, it, it stays alive in the world. So, uh, so, so I'm glad that my family put in the work. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And one of the ways that gets preserved is through the culture gets preserved is through the food of the mother country. And, you know, we talked about the big Polish American community in Chicago. Talk about uh, what are some of your favorite restaurants in Chicago, some of your favorite places to go? You talk about cooking in the home, but what about when you go out? Are there any places in Chicago that make really great, authentic Polish food? I did ask this question a lot and unfortunately uh, you're not going to like the answer but the, in my opinion I don't think that Chicago has a really great Polish restaurant yet so if anyone listening has an idea and wants to embark upon that sort of uh, business then, then you know I encourage them to because I think you know surprisingly for the amount of uh, people with Polish heritage in the city there's still not enough like what I would call really great Polish restaurants that I would feel comfortable recommending. There's there's a handful, but I don't think that their that their menu is, you know, quite up to par with what what you would see when going to Poland. And I think also, you know, part of the reason why there's not a, a large amount of Polish restaurants or like really good ones in, in Chicago quite yet is because Polish people have a really big tradition of uh, home cooking. Uh, so, you know, I think that's probably why there's there's kind of this lack of restaurants from with our cuisine, because to our understanding, Polish food is homemade. But it would be nice to start sharing it with everybody else. So if, you know, the, the more people, the more people that would want to kind of embark on this sort of endeavor and and kind of help help out in this mission, that would be great. <laughs> So the moral of this story is if you want a really good Polish meal in Chicago, go to uh, Alexandra's or Alexandra's mother's house. Yeah. <laughs> or find yourself a Polish friend, a Polish family to be friends with. That's, you're going to get the absolute best po- Polish food that way, for sure. Your your show is called uh, Flavor of Poland, and you go to Poland and you explore the different regions and the different cuisines. and. I think, you know, Poland is one of those places where we talked about this in the last episode where people aren't as familiar with it. But there's also it's a big country. So there's a regionality to it. 
Is is there a way you can describe the different regions? Like I know in Italy you can talk about well in the in the north there's more polenta and in the south there you know. Um, but I don't know that I don't know the regions well enough to be able to say to make generalizations like this part of Poland is known for this or this part of Poland is known for that. Um, would you say that uh, that works that way? It does. However, I wouldn't really, it, it's not as broad maybe as in other countries where I can say the north is this, the east is that, the south is this. It's more, it's very, it's more specific to the regions when it comes to Poland. So the, the best way to kind of find out what those differences are, are realistically to watch the show, uh, tune into Flavor of Poland. That's where I kind of go in depth about what the differences are between each of the regions. But just to give you a few examples, you know, the uh, Silesian region of Poland is known for its hard industry historically. And so what that industry kind of bred was this cuisine of hearty meals of these like very filling dishes um, that would fill you up after a, a long day of hard work. Uh, in the very north along the Baltic coast, of course, you have a, an incredible seafood uh, cuisine. A little bit further south of that, but still in the northern part of Poland, is the Missourian Lake District. It's the, the, they call it the land of a thousand lakes. Uh, and so obviously that part of Poland is very rooted in freshwater fish dishes. You know, it's differences like that. In the in the mountains in the south, it's obviously there. It's, there's less vegetables, there's more meat, it's also very hearty. Uh, you know, historically people have to survive in the cold in the mountains, so so that cuisine is, is a little bit heavier as well. Um, and again, has fewer vegetables because there's fewer growth of that uh, in that part of Poland. So so again, it's very specific to the region, and and I think that the, the best way to get to know that is to watch the show. So the first episode of the show, let's, let's get into some of these regions, because the first episode you're in Krakow which is, you know, a place that a lot of people uh, have been visiting in recent years. And you mentioned that Galician cuisine is big in Krakow. How do you describe Galician cuisine? It's a blend of, I believe, Hungarian, Austrian, uh, Jewish flavors. It's a cuisine that developed uh, over time from the Middle Ages through the Renaissance. uh, And, you know, it's, it's changed a bit today, but but there's elements of it that are still preserved in kind of the general traditions of, of that part of Poland. Krakow historically was a, sort of a crossroads. Uh, if you go to the Krakow Square, you'll see uh, the, the big cloth hall called Sukienica in Polish. Uh, and that is where merchants from, you know, essentially all over the world would come in and trade their goods in the Middle Ages and through the Renaissance. And so that's how that region got to know exotic spices and, and things like cinnamon or ginger uh, were introduced into, into local dishes. Uh, Krakow was also the political seat of Poland for, for many, many years. I think uh, the combined total of over 700 when you go back in history and look it up. Uh, so, so there's very much, there's a lot of courtly traditions that are part of the, the local cuisine. That's why we showed, uh, the, the Krakow style roasted duck. It's a very fancy dish. The roasted duck does show up in other parts of, of Poland in different regions, but it's very big in Krakow because it's, you know, it's kind of like a royal meat dish that was enjoyed, um, in the castle in, in Krakow, uh, you know, when, when the kings and queens still lived there. Uh, and it's it's kind of been embraced and it still survives to this day on the menu in Krakow. You can 
speed duck on the menu in most kind of fancy restaurants in the city. So yes, that part of Poland has has a Galician cuisine. There's a dish that you can have there, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this, but the round pretzel called Ovarjarnik. <laughs> so it's a, it's I'm a, gonna keep trying. I'm gonna keep trying. I'm gonna just keep taking swings yes, up there, okay, Alexandra. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> you have to. That's the way you learn. Um, it's I. I. You know, it's it's good that you're brave enough to try. Some people aren't. So it's it's that's a, a definitely a plus. All right, I'll take it. Uh, so the obvajanek, though, coming back to the to that. Um, kind of traditional Krakow bread. It's also called the Krakow pretzel, although some people would, you know, come at me complaining that I shouldn't be calling it a pretzel because it technically is not one. Uh, it's a it's a regional, not a regional, it's a, it's a tradition of the city specifically, and it's something that was based in the city as far as, I believe, the 13th century. Uh, and its recipe survives to this day. It's a very specific technique for making this bread. Uh, it's similar to a pretzel and a bagel, but technically you can't call it either because it's just what it is is an obvajanek and its recipe is protected uh, both locally, nationally, and in, under the European Union. Uh, so it is a historic tradition. And in order for this type of bread to be called an obvajanek, it has to be made according to that specific recipe and only in Krakow. Uh, so you can try and make it at home. It's not too difficult. I actually did that not long ago, but it, but then it's technically not called an Obvajanek traditionally. Uh, and it's, but it's a, it's a popular snack in the city. When you walk throughout Krakow, you'll see vendor stands on, to me, it seems like almost every corner of every street, uh, there's, there's vendors selling this, this bread. Uh, and I think when I looked it up one time, there, Krakow can sell as many as 150,000 pieces of these daily. Wow. Yeah. Krakow gets a lot of tourists today, so I guess I'm not that surprised. But, uh, but yeah, it's a very popular little snack that, that you can pick up and, and tour the city with. Well, you call it a little snack, but actually it, it's pretty big. I mean, I was looking at you handling this thing, and it's, you know, it's, it's a good hefty size. Would, would you have anything with it, or does it come topped with anything? Are you to put anything inside like a bagel? How, how do you eat it, or just you're munching on bread? So it's topped with sesame seeds or poppy seeds, typically, uh, and it really doesn't vary much from that. Uh, and you really wouldn't put a topping on it. I know that here in the States, a lot of times when we get pretzels, we like to dip it in cheese or, or in other dippings. But uh, but no, the vajanek is supposed to be just enjoyed alone. It is pretty big, but, you know, when you're walking through the city, uh, because that's what you do when you visit a European city, especially one like Krakow, you're on your feet most of the day. So as you tour and you walk around, you know, you have a little bit and then you put it away and then you have the rest of it. Uh, so it goes down easy. It's delicious. <laughs> and then from this, from the Overjanic, did the did the bagel come out of that? I mean, did it eventually morph into a bagel? Is that where bagels came from? The Jewish bagel is distinctly different from the Overjanic. So they're not the same. Uh, for those who don't know much about what what the communities of Krakow looked like historically, there was a very, very big Jewish community uh, in the in the quarter of 
Krakow called Kajimiesz. Uh, and so they kind of co-inhabited the city and the, the Jewish people had their own community, very large community in this quarter of the city. Uh, and so that's where the bagel actually originated. This was one of my, my most incredible finds in the show. I had no idea that the bagel that we love here in the United States actually originated from my favorite Polish city, which is Krakow. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, the bagel, the bagel kind of was born in Kazimierz, uh, that quarter of, of Krakow. As far as what was borrowed from the Avvajanek versus not, I'm not entirely sure. And are there still bagel vendors in Krakow? There certainly are. Uh, we actually came upon a really wonderful uh, little bakery uh, in Kazimierz when, when we visited that part of the city in the show. Uh, it's owned by actually an American. I believe he's from New Jersey originally, but he really relocated back to uh, to Poland and he opened a bagel shop in Kazimierz. So he kind of, you know, came back from the States and, and uh, refreshed the tradition that, that is a part of his culture. So he's a Jewish gentleman as well. Uh, and I had the opportunity to speak with him on the show uh, so he can tell viewers a little bit more about the history and the making of, of traditional bagels from their very uh, place of origin. But his shop, you know, like I've, I've kind of said this a few times, Poland takes traditions and things that, you know, were loved and made historically, and they're making them in new ways. They're keeping them alive, but they're also kind of adding a little bit of invention on top of it. So this, the the bagel shop uh, that we that we visited in the show is actually a hundred percent vegetarian. So you won't see anything on the menu that is meat based at all. The shop only serves bagels with with toppings and with with uh, ingredients that are completely vegetarian. So I saw you uh, enjoying this dessert in Krakow, and I wanted uh, I wanted to ask you before I before I say its name. I wanted to ask you, have you ever seen the, did you used to watch the Seinfeld TV show? I've seen it, yes, a few times, okay. but I, I can't say that I've seen every episode. Okay, but I'll try. so there is there is an episode where Jerry and the gang are going to a, a dinner party and they have to bring a pastry with them. And so they decide to go and get a babka mm. for, the, uh, for, for the hostess gift. And uh, of course, chaos ensues. <laughs> That was my only. That was my only knowledge of babka. I'd never had a babka. I'd, I'd heard of it through this sitcom, and then I watch your show, and you're talking about babka. And I guess I should have known that it was a Polish treat, but I didn't. Tell me about the babka. Babka is essentially a bundt cake. That's that's really all it is. Uh, and they are very popular in Poland. You make uh, various kinds of babkas for various holidays and occasions. Uh, but the one that I made on the show in the, the Krakow episode as well, uh, it was a favorite dessert of one of Poland's queens. And so it's a it's a very simple dessert. Uh, this particular, I think bunt cakes are usually pretty simple to make, but this one is, is you know, particularly easy when it comes to ingredients and procedure. Uh, it's very light because it's based on semolina rather than flour. Um, and there's the addition of these kind of Renaissance era spices that I think, you know, came through Krakow back in the day. So it's got cinnamon, vanilla, ginger, a little bit of honey. Uh, so 
it's, it's kind of exotic in its flavor, but it's very simple to make and it makes for a delicious dessert. And you can see Alexandra make that on her uh, Flavor of Poland TV show. I wanted to talk about another town in Poland where you visited, and it's called uh, Wroclaw. Yeah. And this, at the very beginning of the program, at the very beginning of this episode, you talk about the dwarves and the legend of the dwarves in this town. Would you tell that story again? Because it's, it's really very charming. The legend says, the local legend says, that uh, back in the day there was a menacing leprechaun, I want to say, uh, and he would play tricks upon the people. He would sneak up on them as they were enjoying a glass of wine or tea at a, a local cafe, and they, he would spill the, the teacup or, or the glass of wine. And so he was just very menacing, and the people just didn't know how to get rid of him. He would always run away. So one day, I guess, a group of dwarves entered the town and the people asked them if they could maybe help catch the leprechaun because they were a little bit smaller. Uh, and so the dwarves got together and they tricked the leprechaun and somehow trapped him and got him to leave the city. And so as they <laughs> thank you, the people of Roslav told the dwarves that they were welcome to stay. And so the, they are now a permanent part of the city. But, you know, Maybe they are real, who knows, but uh, the way that we see them as humans walking around the city is in the form of these small statues that are all around the city, and that's part of them. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my mind right now uh, what the name of the movement was, but it was kind of an anti-communist movement, uh, and so these statues became a symbol of, of that. Oh, interesting. Uh, and yeah, yeah. So there's, there's quite a, a few of those statues today. I think last time I checked... There's 150-some official statues, uh, but beyond that, there's many more, I think, in total, over 300. But that's just artists kind of being creative and, and putting them up in, in various spots, but they're not all a part of that original group that, that started this, this movement in making these statues. So keep your eyes peeled for dwarves when you're in... Uh, yeah, I think, I don't know, just uh, one more thing on that. I don't know if the city still does it today, but I know that not too long ago, I think there was an app that you could download when you're in Vrotslav oh, uh, to see <laughs> if you've got all, if you've, yeah, if you found all the dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Pokemon for dwarves. Yeah. I don't think of Poland as a, as a wine producing country. I guess maybe they don't make enough to export, but you visited a vineyard uh, when you were on your program and drinking wine. Talk about the wine of Poland. What's it like? What does it taste like? What kind of varieties do they grow? That was another one of my greatest finds in Poland. Uh, I am not a sommelier, so I can't speak to, uh, you know, very eloquently about the specific notes, the specific blends uh, of wine, but I do love to just enjoy wine uh, as a consumer. So the fact that Poland is now up and coming when it comes to winemaking was was a great discovery for me. I was very happy about it. As far as I know from people that I've spoken to in Poland, including uh, the owners of the Adoria vineyard that I visited uh, on the outskirts of Wrocław, the reason for wine kind of making a comeback in Poland today is in part due to climate change. So Poland is now experiencing longer and warmer summers. Uh, they last a little bit longer into the fall months. And so that uh, now makes wine, uh, the wine industry kind of a, more of a possibility in Poland. So they're getting 
better and better at it. They're not um, kind of the top producer of wine yet in, in Europe, but the, the experts in the industry are predicting that Poland could potentially be the next kind of El Dorado when it comes to the winemaking of Europe. Uh, so Adoria Vineyards is one of the more prominent uh, wineries in Poland today, uh, and that's, that's the one that I visited again in the episode, uh, owned and operated by uh, another gentleman from the United States. His name is Mike Whitney. <laughs> Uh, and Mike actually grew up on the American West Coast. His family has a history of winemaking uh, in Northern California and Washington. And so, as he says on the show, too, I think uh, he fell in love with a Polish woman and, and he relocated to Poland for that reason. Uh, <laughs> but he brought his. Yeah. <laughs> as the story goes. Usually. As it always goes. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but he did bring his knowledge of, of winemaking from the, the U.S. West Coast back to Poland with him. And so that's what kind of initiated the idea for opening Adoria Wines. Uh, and he does really well. Uh, he's, he's had a, a few awards. What I had uh, a chance to sample when I was there was a Pinot Noir, which is my favorite type of red wine, a Bacchus, I believe that's how it's pronounced, Uh I think it's it's kind of similar to a Riesling. Mm. Uh, as far as I know, it's more of a European wine. I don't think it's it's kind of prominently found on the shelves here uh, in in the U.S. market. And then we also tried a, a sparkling wine. So I thought they were fantastic. Uh, I really love California wines, and I would say that these definitely compare. Help me understand the geography here, because Poland does share a border with Germany. And, of course, Germany is known for making Riesling wines. Is this area of Poland near that part of Germany? It certainly is. I don't know if it's near the, the specific part of Germany where Rieslings are made. I, I, again, I, I'm, when it comes to winemaking in Germany, I, I, sure, I sure. know close to nothing, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> um, but it is, but yes, Wrocław and its region uh, are, are very near Germany. So, so that could be the reason why. Uh, that particular uh, wine is made there. And you mentioned the gentleman from uh, Dorio Vineyards is from the U.S. That's the second person you've mentioned that's from the U.S. that is now Mm -hmm. opening a business in Poland. Is there any trend of reverse immigration going from the United States to Poland? Is that a trend at all? There seems to be. It's not, you know, the waves of people that came uh, over west going east now. But yes, there is definitely, a, I've come across many people who have made the decision to relocate back to Poland. Some of them, uh, you know, are, are kind of like me, where they were originally born there, grew up in the States, and then decided to go back. But there's also a lot of just, you know, second or third or even fourth generation Americans that find Poland enticing and they find opportunities there and, and they love the culture, the people, and they decide that, you know, that's where they want to live and they, where they want to stay. So it's it's an it's an interesting thing to observe. But yes, there's definitely a, a sort of migration in the other di- direction. So season one of Flavor of Poland is out now. Um, if you miss an episode on PBS, we've got links to where you can watch uh, full episodes. You did 13 episodes, Alexandra. Any ideas for a season two? I mean, it seems like you covered a lot of ground. Where are some of the places you still want to go in Poland and, and show to us back here in the U.S.? 100% we, we would love to do a second season. Our fans are asking us for it every day on Facebook and Instagram. Um, they're <laughs> sending us emails. They're ready to see more. Uh, so 
you know, the the reason we we made Flavor of Poland was because, you know, looking around the United States, we noticed that there was a very surface level um, kind of information on on what Polish cuisine is and on what Polish culture truly is. And right, right. you know, layered on layered on top of that is the fact that Poland has also kind of um, progressed and, and changed and, and flourished in the last fifteen to twenty years or so. And so we thought it was a good time and and uh, and high time, quite frankly, to show American audiences what Poland really is. Uh, so that's why we created this this show. Uh, the first thirteen episodes take us across. 13 different regions of Poland, but Poland has 16 total. So we definitely want to go back to the four that have been missed uh, and then go more in depth uh, into some of the regions that have already been seen. Because if you watch the show, you know it's 26 minutes long. And within that, we also have a cooking segment. So there's so much more to see. We've really only scratched the surface still. We've shown a lot, but it's still just kind of the, the tip of the iceberg. And we want to go more in depth. There's many, many Americans here in the U.S. that uh, share in Polish heritage, and they've already been very excited and and sentimental about the fact that they've been able to see so much through the show already. So we want to keep taking this journey uh, back to Poland with them, and and hopefully there will be a second season, maybe even more. (laughs) Hopefully, yeah. You've definitely whet my appetite to uh, travel to Poland and to learn more about Polish food. So thanks for that, and Thanks for being on the show, Alexandra. It's been great talking to you again. Likewise. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. I'll tell you, Alexandra is fun to watch on her show, and she's a whiz in the kitchen, too. I've got a link to her show, Flavor of Poland, in the show notes. Get that at radiomisfits.com. Well, that'll do it for this week. Next week, we're in a city that's on everyone's bucket list, Florence, Italy. Gelato, Christmas in Italy, Panettone. It'll be fun. While you're waiting for that, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. There's tons of info about a lot of the places I've been to, plus a blog where I talk about some of my favorite foods, places, funny things that have happened along the way. And the latest blog post is about the ferocious dragon that terrorized Ljubljana, Slovenia, and how the dragon, not the brave warrior who killed him and saved all the people, became the symbol of the city. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Big Cheese Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.